This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. Good morning and welcome to episode number 119 of Go To Grandma. This show is originally airing on Zoomer Radio on Saturday, November the 18th, 2023. My name is Kathy Buckworth and I'm your Go To Grandma. No, this isn't a test of ASMR, but I'm whispering because we are spilling some good secrets here today on the show. Have you always wondered what it's like to be rich, really rich, or famous? Really famous? I'm so pleased to have Paul Burton back on the show to talk about his latest book, Misfortune and Fame, 10 Reasons You Don't Want to Be Rich or Famous. Paul himself comes from pretty famous Canadian stock, being the son of acclaimed writer Pierre Burton. And he tells us why he didn't think that was such a cool thing when he was a kid. The book is full of anecdotes of the rich and famous and uncovers what the heck they have to be stressed about. We continue with a peek behind closed doors with Doors Open Ontario, which is curated by the Ontario Heritage Trust. Visit in person or take advantage of the Digital Doors Open program, either of which can have you opening doors at the Apothecary in Niagara-on-the-Lake to the beautiful Elgin and Winter Garden Theatre in downtown Toronto and pretty much every location in between. David Leonard from the Ontario Heritage Trust joins me to talk about what's open and heritage tourism. Our Take 5 with RBC interview exposes the scams that fraudsters are employing against our grandkids who are students and perhaps managing their money for the first time. Great advice for us to pass on. I'm not rich enough to have a butler to get my coffee or to have a cleaning service to wipe up the eventual spills I'll make today, but I hope you'll still stay tuned as we spill the tea, yes, that's what the kids today call sharing gossip, on the rich, the famous, and the historical. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you're listening to Go To Grandma. Paul Burton is up first. Burton is a veteran journalist and currently the editor-in-chief of Metroland, including six daily newspapers and 70 community news websites. He is also the author of two books, including last year's Shopomania, Our Obsession with Possession, and the recently published Misfortune and Fame, 10 Reasons You Don't Want to Be Rich or Famous. Good morning, Paul Burton. Thanks so much for being back on the show today. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. I thoroughly enjoyed reading your book. It's a really fun read, but it's it's got a lot of great information in there about rich people and what the heck they have to worry about. And you quote a study, which made me sort of laugh, but I'm just going to read it out. Sometimes I think that the only people in this country who worry more about money than the poor are the very wealthy. And I think that sort of says it all, doesn't it? It sure does, yeah. I mean, uh, rich people have all the same problems that we have, and and. Surprising, not surprisingly, one of them is money. Yeah, and I was just going to launch in with that first question about do they have the problems like the rest of us? What kinds of problems do they would they have that are the same and what might be different? Well, they have problems with their neighbors. They have <laughs> problems with they have problems with drugs. They have problems with uh, other addictions, and they have problems with surprisingly, they have problems with money. Uh, not the same kinds of problems, perhaps, uh, and they're certainly more comfortable or less stressed about it than the rest of us, but 
uh, indeed, the more money you have and uh, the more stuff you have, the more problems you have. So that old adage about money can't buy happiness, it can to a certain degree, correct? And you talk about that a bit in the book. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> we'd all rather be rich than poor, I suppose. Yes. <laughs> and, and, you know, the book is lighthearted but dark soul. I mean, it, it, it's as much as a, a, a book about poor people as it is about rich people. That being said, uh, you only need so much to make you happy. And a- after a certain point, and it's not as big a number as most of us think, it, it really doesn't do anything for you and really, in, in many cases, just causes trouble. For the extremely wealthy, though, do they ever feel rich enough? You said there's a number and it's not very high, but for them, what is that number? Do they have a number? the problem is i think for most rich people it's a growing number right Right. it's a moving target first of all they think well i just need a million dollars and i'll be happy and then they get to a million and they say i need 10 million and then it becomes 100 million and it becomes a bit of an addiction too right that's not any more that what the as i say in the book it's not what the money can buy but what the money represents or you know it's just like it's like collecting anything you want more of it Uh, it's human nature yeah, and, and the, not the flip side of that coin, but the other part of this equation that you talk about is the famous part of it. Of course, you can be famous and poor. You can be rich and famous. You can be rich and not famous. I mean, rich and not famous is probably the ideal for a lot of people, I think. However, you know, the downsides of fame, you get into that quite a bit. Um, what did you, what really struck you when you looked at sort of the way that really famous live? There are two types of really famous people. Those who, who love being in the spotlight, and let's just use uh, the former American president, Donald mm-hmm. Trump, as an example. And, and then those who, you know, like, as I say in the book, George Clooney, who, who can't take a walk in the park. Right. Uh, you know, I was reading about Matthew Perry the other day, and they, he was collaborating with a writer on something. And the writer said, I, I often feel like I can think better when I walk. And Perry said, no, I can't do that, it, you know, which didn't occur to him. But now it's obvious, right? These mm-hmm. people can't go out on the street and they can't even cut their grass or go and get a, a coffee without uh, being uh, inundated by media or fans. Yeah, yeah, and you and you talk a bit about in the book too about the you know the fact that these really rich and famous people they build these huge complexes and mansions, but it almost seems necessary for them because they can't enjoy public space. Isn't that right? That, that's fair enough, and 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 um, you know that's why yachts are so popular right. among the rich. They they can get away from everyone except maybe the uh, drone or airplane, but. Uh, yeah, they need uh, they need security and they need uh, privacy and they need walls and it not only it, 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 and then it becomes sort of a an isolationist thing. They become prisoners of their own castles and and uh, often unhappy uh, because of it. Do you, are you surprised when the really famous sort of reveal more of themselves to the public? I'm talking about if they are, you know, posting on social media or someone like Britney Spears, who just had a book come out, even Matthew Perry, when his book came out. You know, why would they do that? Why would they reveal so much more of their personal life, in your opinion? I think because, to be fair to them, they want to set the record straight or right. they want to set it in their own words. And that's fair enough because, you know, being famous, there's a lot of misinformation uh, being written about them every day. And, and, and I can only assume, other than, other than that they probably get a big advance for right. the book, 
Right, exactly. That's that's true too, and that leads me to the next question. As you said, this book, you know, does have some you know very serious subject matter in it. Well, it's very anecdotal as well. But what are the consequences for society in a world where this wealth inequity grows by the year? Because you talk about the super super rich people in here, it's almost hard to fathom how rich they are. This huge inequity of wealth that we see right now. Yeah, economic injustice is increasing around the world. Uh, I mean, the, the the gap is widening, and that's nothing new. But when we have wealth in inequality, inevitably, this ends poorly. You know, and we need only look to the history of France or Russia or Iran uh, to use some recent examples to see what happens. It's revolution. Mm-hmm. And um, uh, you can see the, you know, democratic institutions being affected already in North America. And, and you know, the, the, the world has gone crazy sometimes, we think, just by looking at this. So it's, you know, the book talks about the hilarious debauchery of, of rich people. And a lot of it is fun and funny. But uh, some of it is not so funny at all, especially as it affects uh, the general population and indeed uh, the way that society works. I'm just going to finish off with a paragraph in your book because I think it's a really important message, which you wrote this. We must first recognize that most of us are rich. If we have a place to live and food to eat and can acquire a passport, we're better off than millions of others. Like the multimillionaires and billionaires depicted in this book, we may not be as rich as we would like, but we are still rich. And we are not as poor as we are led to believe by marketing companies, influencers, Hollywood producers, our neighbors, the Kardashians, and the media in general. I love that. It just wraps up for me sort of the whole sort of philosophy behind the book and I uh, and I uh, I loved it I, I read it really quickly and I encourage others to get it it is called misfortune and fame 10 reasons why you don't want to be rich or famous and of course Paul we can find you at paulfburton.com or on social media at Paul F Burton thanks so much for being on the show today thanks again Kathy David Leonard is a passionate advocate for heritage tourism and the senior marketing and communications specialist at the Ontario Heritage Trust. As a trusted expert in the field of heritage tourism, David has spearheaded numerous initiatives aimed at raising awareness of the historical, cultural, and architectural treasures that make Ontario a truly remarkable destination, such as the Doors Open Ontario program. Good morning, David. Thanks so much for being on GoToGrandma. Morning. Thank you for having me. So before we get into the logistics of Doors Open Ontario, which I'm dying to hear about, I wanted to talk to you first about heritage experiences and heritage tourism. So, David, why are more Canadians seeking out these heritage experiences? Well, we know that Canadians and Ontarians are looking to learn and to share their their local stories while celebrating the diversity of their uh, their city, their region, or their province. And, and that's what Doors Open Ontario does so well. Um, it gives people free access to explore their communities and other communities, and to be curious and ask questions about the historic sites and special places that give these give these communities so much of their local character and make them so interesting. And besides people, of course, getting an appreciation for the heritage of these buildings that they can go into either virtually or for real, um, what Mm -hmm. impact does heritage tourism and and the program Doors Open Ontario have on our economy? It's quite significant, I think. It is. Um, So since 2002, when Doors Open Ontario began, um, the economic impact of events has been um, just shy of 150 million, 148 as of this year. Um, And... 
2023, that impact was about $8.5 million in visitor spending, which is being driven by um, the money that folks who visit events spend on uh, predominantly local businesses. Um, I did some of this myself recently when I uh, I was helping out with the last uh, Doors Open Ontario event of the season in Niagara on the Lake at the end of October. And even while I was uh, there, like working on the event, um, before and afterwards, I made sure to stop by some of the local shops and uh, I had a great lunch. Um, and those are the kinds of effects um, that when, when folks travel um, either within their community or to a nearby community to take part in the Doors Open Ontario event. Uh, those are the kind of businesses they spend on, and those are the kinds of, uh, those are the kinds of businesses that really like, help to shape and define their communities as well. Uh, so really positive effects um, from an economic uh, impact standpoint, and uh, Doors Open Ontario is recognized as a, uh, as a consistently strong driver of um of not only like you know heritage tourism experiences for their own sake but also the the economic impact is really positive and well recognized yeah that ripple effect can't be underestimated as you say when once you're in that community you know shopping local and seeing everything and the numbers Mm. are significant in terms of 265,000 site visits that's what i have here in 2022 that's that's really significant and it was much higher in 2023 um we were we were very happy with that with that 2022 figure after two years when we couldn't uh, host major in-person mm-hmm. programming at all, and in 2023 we overperformed um, again um, by uh, by about by about 10 percent over our business plan targets, um, reaching a final visitation figure for 2023 of about 385,000 site visits. Um, so that's um, that's like about 120,000 or so over uh, what we saw in 2022. So we know that that, uh, that that appetite to participate in heritage tourism for folks to uh, for folks to travel locally or non-locally and explore and be curious about historic sites. Um, we know that 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 that's really growing in this post mm-hmm. uh, in this post pandemic period. And the work that the Ontario Heritage Trust does with our community partners to open these sites and organize this program um, is um, I think we're doing a really great job of meeting, uh, of meeting the, the public where they're at and providing them a range of really engaging experiences, something for everyone. Exactly. Like and, and, and if you yeah. go on the website, of course, you know, there's so many um, in-person places you can go actually physically open a door. And then there's obviously mm. your digital visits as well, um, which I'm sure saw, you know, great traffic during, you know, when nobody really could go out. But now you can experience both. So maybe I've never done this before. So walk me through it. First of all, David, it's free, right? It is. Um, and that's foundational to, uh, to Doors Open Ontario, that um, what the program does is provides free, again, and rare access to um, hundreds, this past year, 576 buildings and spaces that are either normally close to the public or some places that normally charge admission. Right. So that accessibility is... And, and that that accessibility to uh, architectural, cultural, and, and natural wonders in the province is really important. Indeed, again, foundational to the way that um, 
um, to the way that this program runs and the kind of appeal that it has. And if we want to know where we can physically go, of course, on the website, the dates are clearly labeled. Not everything is open every day, which totally makes sense. Um, But you can go and check by the dates and see if they're open just for a day or for a week or, you know, ongoing, etc. Yeah, it's it's for a day or, um, or a weekend in each community each year. So, um, like, for example, Toronto um, hosts their Doors Open event at the end of May annually. Um, and um, each each one of our community partners picks a day or mm, a weekend. Okay. And that's the that's the time that their that their Doors Open event happens. Um, but the digital content is year round and provides like a nice complimentary um, online experience for folks to learn more about this province's uh, heritage sites. And even though the 2023 season has ended and and ended on a really positive note, um, we're currently working with our partners to uh, register and organize events for 2024. So we'll have more information to share about that um, in the winter and the early spring. Okay. Um, And folks can visit our website again at doorsopenontario.on.ca and they can explore the digital content for now. Um, 276 um, online experiences, mm-hmm. and um, just kind of stay tuned to learn more about the really exciting in-person experiences, I think, that are going to be coming up in 2024. Okay, I'm going to put you on the spot. Favorite experience on the on, in the online world, since this is what we're talking about right now, favorite, favorite one for you, David? Oh, it's like picking a favorite not- kid, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if I can do that, um, because it's not... <laughs> It's not really about me, I think. <laughs> right. the, the nice thing about Doors Open Ontario, whether it be online or in person, is that whether or not you're like really, really, really into heritage mm-hmm. and you're you're that kind of person who knows um, who knows like everything about Victorian architecture, or you're somebody who just wants to like explore your community and learn more about its history, um, we welcome all of those people, a diversity of perspectives and people. And, and that's that's what makes this work. It, absolutely. Well it it's something yeah. for everyone. And if we want to get more information, as you just mentioned, we can go to doorsopenontario.on.ca or heritagetrust.on.ca. And of course, you're on social media at on Heritage. Thanks so much for this today, David. Thanks very much. As Vice President Fraud Management at RBC, Kevin Perkis leads a team responsible for managing RBC's fraud capabilities within a sound risk framework while protecting their clients. Good morning, Kevin. Thanks for being part of our Take 5 with RBC interview today. Morning, Kathy. Thanks so much for having me. So the last time we had you on, we talked about fraud prevention for seniors. But a recent RBC poll suggests students, maybe some of our grandkids, also need help to better protect themselves. Can you share the poll results with us? Oh, I'd be happy to. It's amazing. It is a real pressing need for our students uh, that they're victims of fraud as well. I, you know, and about 80% of them believe they should be learning more about fraud. About half of them have encountered fraud attempts since starting uh, post-secondary studies. And a lot of them are really worried about identity theft and having money stolen. And with so many things to think about when they're attending post-secondary school, it's quite understandable that fraud isn't always top of mind. But frankly, with new sophisticated scams on the rise and a lot of students that are maybe managing finances for the first time, it's really important they're aware of the risks and they know how to spot the signs of a scam. So similar to targeting of seniors, are there scams that are specific to students? 
There are. Uh, just a couple examples maybe might be helpful. One that could be quite appropriate would be a job scam. You know, students are out there wanting to earn some extra dollars, and uh, job scams will try to convince students that there's a great opportunity, and then they'll just instantly steal their background of personal banking information, or in some cases, they may submit a large check, which is fake and then ask them to transfer money back. And by the time the student realizes it's a fake or a counterfeit check, they're out maybe hundreds or even thousands of dollars. There's also uh, scams we've seen that go through email or text or phone scams where it could be promising loan forgiveness or an ability to get access to funds. You could save money on tuition. These things are scams, and students really should be aware. So are there some tips that you can share to protect themselves? I think... Some of the best things are make sure that if you see something come through that uh, is an unsolicited call, email, text, have your guard up. Assume that it could be fraud. You could be seeing somebody impersonate government, bank staff, law enforcement, people that you might trust. Be very careful not to open any attachments that may be on there or click links associated on there. The other one would be just pause and think. Don't share your debit or credit card information. Don't share passwords. Don't share pins that might be sent to you. We won't ask, and it's important to make sure that you don't share that stuff proactively. The other thing is very actively keep your passwords up to date. Make them complex. Do not use the same password between multiple different places. If you do, then if a fraudster gets one of your simple places, maybe they'll try to replicate that. And really be vigilant. There's a lot of great opportunity now with your online banking to set up um, alerts that can monitor your accounts for you and they'll tell you if something weird happens. Also set up multi-factor authentication. Make sure you take that extra step to really keep yourself safe and secure. These are great tips, not just for students and our grandkids, of course, but for everyone. And in our increasingly online world, we cannot repeat these tips often enough. Do you have any final thoughts on avoiding fraudsters? You know, at the end of the day, keep yourself aware. If you do find yourself um, in a, as a victim, there can be a lot of impacts to this. It can impact your credit score, your finances for a period of time. It can be an emotional turmoil or a tough event. And I think regardless of your age, that's true. So it's important to make sure you're staying on top of current scams, keeping yourself informed. You can take a look certainly online at our BC pages. We got some great resources, the Canadian Anti-Fraud Centre keeps a a very active scam uh, journal as well. So you've got resources at your fingertips. And if we want more information on this, we can, of course, go to rbc.com. And as you mentioned, the How to Protect Yourself online document. Thanks so much for sharing this with us today, Kevin. Really appreciate the time, Kathy. I don't know much about being a millionaire, but I bet I'd be darling at it. Me too, Dorothy Parker. Me too. Money can't buy happiness, but it can buy Paul Burton's book, and I hope you do that. And it doesn't cost you anything to participate in Doors Open Ontario, either online or in person. We can all become a little bit richer that way. Next week on GoToGrandma, we are taking a look at some innovative children's books that are sure to appeal to your grandchildren of all ages. A bit of science, some magic of reindeers, just in time to start building your Christmas book gift list. Then, maybe you're trying to sell your house, and maybe you've already moved out to a smaller place, a retirement home, or even out of country. How can you get the best price for your now vacant home? Real estate broker Lisa Bednarski is back on the show to give us some tips on how to fill your bank account while selling an empty home. Take 5 with RBC will be back with their great financial advice as well, of course.
Thanks so much for coming by the show today, either on the radio or online. Some rare housekeeping notes for the show. I have very much appreciated the sponsorship and partnership of RBC for the first three seasons of Go To Grandma. If you or a company you know is interested in the title sponsorship for the show's fourth season, scheduled to start in January of 2024, please contact me via social media or email. As well, my longtime producer, Kelly Robotham, is taking on a new position at Zoomer. Way to go, Kelly. And I need to thank her for being there at the start for me and helping me provide what I think is a great show week after week. I wish her well and welcome Ian Robertson to the show as producer. Change is hard, but change is good. I'm Kathy Buckworth, and you've been listening to Go To Grandma. Enjoy your grand journey. Share your thoughts on this show with us. You can find Kathy on Instagram at Kathy Buckworth. Or email her, kathy at kathybuckworth.com. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.